on this episode of AV Week, 15 vulnerabilities in wireless presentation systems where AI and AV can work together. And Zoom gets another government certification. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 402, recorded Friday, May 10th, 2019. This show is redacted. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Peerless AV, driving technology through innovation. And by Bayan. And by Daylight, the leading producer of high-quality projection screens worldwide. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host. With us to discuss the news and information we have gathered this week, first and foremost, the lovely Miss Dawn Mead. You know her as AV Dawn. Welcome, ma'am. Thanks so much for having me, Tim. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, also, also with us, oh, it's been a long week and I can't talk. Also with us, Peter Herr from Sure. Welcome, sir. Thank you very much. Glad to be here. Thank you. Uh, and last but not least, uh, Chris Beck is our buddy from Harmon by Samsung. Welcome, sir. Hi. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, before we get started uh, with the, the 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 news that we're going to cover, real quickly, I didn't want I didn't want to necessarily gloss over this. Uh, pretty significant uh, merger acquisition combination deal happened uh, Thursday morning. We're recording this Friday, May tenth. This happened Thursday, uh, the morning, uh, at least for us here in the Central Time Zone. Uh, Thursday, uh, uh, May 9th, SnapAV and Control4 are merging uh, in a $680 million um, deal. The way it's worded, they're calling it a, a merger. Uh, SnapAV, though, is the one putting up all the money and, and, and paying the uh, stockholders of Control4. So my reading of that is it's more of a purchase, but it, semantics and, and tomato, tomato. Uh, Matt Scott on Resi Week will actually be covering this in great detail. Uh, come Monday, he's got a number of uh, integrators and actually a distributor of of, of, uh, of SnapAV coming on. So uh, stay tuned to that. But yes, big, big, uh, big, big deal in the in primarily the residential market. So uh, our first story, though, comes to us uh, from uh, web, the website called Security Week. Security researchers Tenable discovered 15 vulnerabilities in eight wireless presentation systems. Don't go running and seeing which one you have because you probably know which one you have. So listen up. Crestron Air Media AM100, that's, that's important, the AM100 part, and we'll tell you why in a second. The Sharp PN series, Optima WPS Pro, Blackbox, InFocus, Extron ShareLink, and Barco We Present. Uh, those were the eight uh, wireless presentation systems. In their investigation, Tenable discovered Barco was the OEM manufacturer for the rest. Barco and Extron both have released patches for the exploits. Crestron, uh, in the uh, time that they, the Tenable started talking, has discontinued the AM100. They have now released the AM200, AM300 that do not use Barco's code base. Uh, Tenable contacted each company in January of this year, and actually on the, the link that we're going to share and put on the, on the website, on, the, on this, page, this episode's website, it will detail... From January 15th all the way through the end of May of 2019, Tenable's communication with each manufacturer and how each one of those went. Uh, read a piece here from uh, Crestron's uh, statement on the AM100 uh, vulnerabilities. Uh, 
uh, quote unquote, uh, please note the following vulnerabilities only affect the AM100 and the AM101 devices. All other second generation AM1, AM uh, Air Media devices are not affected. Don, I'm going to start with you on this. Uh, as an end user uh, and a former integrator, what should the, proto- should, a pro- should the protocol be when an exploit is known? Who should know uh, and when? Well, wearing my integrator hat, you know, I, I was sort of a proponent of paying more attention to security things, even when I was an integrator, uh, trying to get integrators educated about the, the idea of cybersecurity and, and being aware of vulnerabilities. And back then, I encouraged manufacturers, hey, speak up, let us integrators know that there's a problem or potential problem with your product. It doesn't mean we're going to stop selling it or using it. It just means we need to be aware to close the loopholes, to change the passwords, which we should be doing anyway, to you know, notify the customer to not use it in certain installations and in others. Um, so I think that there is some definite culpability on the part of the manufacturer to let the integrators know. But if you're an integrator and you're watching this, find out about these things, pay attention to these things, educate your staff about these things, and then talk to your customers. Um, you know, I, I took a great class actually at an AMX event some years ago with Paul Zeely, who is scarily genius, but also very good on these topics. And, you know, he, he was talking about ports and protocol documents. And granted, this is four or five years ago. I didn't know what that was as an integrator. And now I know that's vital. You need your ports and protocols documents. You need your understanding of where your devices are touching the internet, are touching the outside world, so you know what to guard and what to protect. And now that I'm an end user, and particularly in the vertical that I am in for company name redacted, um, being aware of these vulnerabilities is more important than ever. It, if, if I find out that there's a product that has a potential vi- uh, vulnerability, I am definitely not going to be using that in my, in my designs here for this company because of the security concerns. Um, Even with products that don't have known vulnerabilities, at this company, they go through a multi-month vetting process with our InfoSec team and our cybersecurity guys before we can even demo them in our systems, let alone install them across the enterprise. So um, it's hugely important if you are an integrator Pay attention to this stuff. Take classes at the upcoming Infocom show on this stuff because your end users are more and more more and more concerned with and aware of such vulnerabilities as these, and we really want solutions. And manufacturers, guys, love you guys, but please communicate. Let us know so that we can prepare. Like I said, it doesn't mean we're never going to use a Barco or a Crestron or a whomever product again. It just means that we need to be prepared to mitigate the risk that using some of these products might bring to our enterprise. Absolutely. Uh, Mr. Backus, I'm going to pick on you. Um, uh, Chris comes to us from, yeah, I I said he works for Harman. Uh, Before that, you know, in that that vein, it also comes to us from AMX. Uh, AMX has had a couple issues over the the years um, with some of those vulnerabilities being posted on technology sites. And I, that's why, kind of why I asked the question is, is who should know and when, uh, to Don's point, let, let the integrators know and, and let them, you know, help you guys fix it. But also, um, you know, how should you communicate that and, and when, um, when, you, when you find issues? 
Sure. As, as a manufacturer of devices that live on a network, that's kind of the norm, right? Going forward, we should expect that there will be people testing the hardware and finding vulnerabilities, right? That's, to Don's point, you, you can't just block everything that, you know, raises a flag on a particular site. There's a degree of severity in that. And, and so that's what being educated about security vulnerabilities does for you is at least understand the spectrum of what that risk potential is. And so as a manufacturer, we're always going to be at risk for those. I, I think the professional testers that are out there for security experts are, as you saw in this article, uh, engaging people early ahead of any type of public release and announce in an attempt to be able to have a story that uh, also comes along with a fix, right? And so in this case, uh, as you saw, several uh, of the manufacturers that were affected by this um, had the ability to go ahead and publish a, a fix uh, ahead of the of, of the release so that customers were informed and then also had a solution to go to. And so for a manufacturer, it mostly comes down to, uh, obviously, your upfront testing, but things are going to happen and things will be uncovered by professional testers and uh, non-professional testers as well. But once that gets raised to you, it's how you handle that. And, and, you know, do you have a security section on your website or something to that effect that says, look, this is our notice. You see this on Cisco all the time, right? As far as the ability to go out and say, this is what was observed. This is what was documented. Microsoft, you know, Apple, anybody that, that has any sort of, of software or, or hardware that touches the network does this. Correct. Our industry has been a little bit slow to adopt to that, right? And and you have an ongoing theme with, do I have firmware updates or do I have security patches and, you know, things of that nature. And, and as an industry and as a manufacturer, I know that that's something that we can get better at uh, as far as how we respond to security incidents. It's not an if they'll happen, it's a when they'll happen type deal. And so, uh, you know, as we progress and mature in that particular phase of our business, I think that you'll see that manufacturers are paying a lot of attention to it and they're doing a lot of things to potentially secure a device. Uh, you know, one of the things that was a takeaway for me in this uh, was you have the intended use case of the product, which is local area network, people sharing content from a mobile device up on screen, right? But the article pointed out how Shodan pointed out to hundreds of endpoints that were publicly exposed to the network. Now, I'm sure that wasn't part of the use case, right? That wasn't really part of the design, but the reality is they're public facing in some cases. The question should be, why is it public facing? But as a manufacturer, we have to recognize that if it connects to the network, we have to assume the worst that it could be a publicly facing device. And are we providing the, techni uh, the, the, the technical functions and options within the software to allow you to lock that product down? And so I, I think the takeaway, for me at least, from where I said, is to make sure that we're providing a number of features from a network security standpoint that enable the customer to do what they need to with the product so that if they are going to leave it out publicly facing, it can at least be locked down so that they would mitigate the risk for some of the disturbances that this article was pointing out. Yeah. Uh, and real quickly, uh, Chris mentioned this. My my thing, on my my kind of my drumbeat is is to manufacturers. Tell me, you know, for real, is your is your quote unquote firmware update really a security patch? Uh, I have actually gotten pushed back on some manufacturers, people much smarter than I am, explaining to me that in certain instances the security update has to be firmware because of the type of circuitry it's updating. So I, I'm a little, pulling back a little bit on it. I still want some more, more, uh, more uh, visibility and, and more transparency into what it is. But my, my argument has been, you know, if I tell the, you know, uh, here in St. Louis, we have a Scott Air Force Base. If I tell Scott Air Force Base, hey, I have a firmware update that, you know, can, you know is going to give you some new functionality. You're not going to get in there for two or three months. If I tell them I have a security update, 
uh, I'll get in, you know, as soon as I can, I can drive over there. So that, that's kind of been my, my thinking, but I have gotten a little bit of pushback and I understand kind of where they're, where they're, they're coming from in, in the, the terminology. So, uh, Peter, I'm going to take a slight left turn here, uh, with you. And that's talking about OEMs for a second. Uh, and, and Chris, you can jump in on this and Don, you can too, obviously. Uh, but this seems to be one manufacturer and I'm not bar- beating up on Barco. You know, Chris said, it's not a question of if somebody, uh, is going to break into your system. It's when, but they were the main manufacturer, the OEM manufacturer for this product, which <laughs> seemed to have, you know, kind of spread like, like dandelion, dandelion flower, uh, flower seeds, uh, to other products. In this instance, or maybe in, in, in other instances, who in this chain should be kind of the main person responsible for the communication? I'm not going to say you know legally responsible or, or whatever. I'm not that. I'm not that kind of person. But but who should be the one communicating that? Should it be Barco or should it be the original OEM or, or like Tenable did here? They contacted everybody that they kind of uh, figured out and, and and saw was was affected. I mean, I think honestly, there's a little bit of responsibility to, on the communication front from from everyone involved. Honestly, um, I don't know that you know because I feel like if it's not if it's not communicated at least from you know uh, multiple sides of it, it's it's there's going to be more finger pointing than resolution, uh, and it's it's probably not going to be something that's uh, going to end well um, either for you know either for the OEM or the you know uh, or the partner. So. Um, I, I can't tell you enough about how much, you know, chatter there is around my organization around, you know, security in general and, you know, where things are going with this. We know that there's some um, serious concerns. We know that we need to make sure that, you know, we're on top of, um, you know, every release you mentioned about firmware. We, we definitely have a process by which we uh, issue firmware updates that are, you know, termed critical. Um, we don't label them as security, but we, you know, they are, you know, noted as such to make sure that we make sure that people get them out there rather than just a feature update. Cause a feature update is going to take, you know, that's going to be like, well, that's great. I want that feature. But some of those um, more higher, higher stringent security side, uh, side of, uh, you know, uh, customers of ours are going to want to make sure that, you know, it, it meets all their requirements before they just go ahead and install it. So um, yeah, I think, you know, I, I think everyone shares a, portion of that responsibility to be sure. Yeah, Tim, another point on that is uh, the security researcher doesn't necessarily know about the OEM arrangement, right? And so there has to be a back and forth dialogue between all parties. Right. So, it, you know, they, that information could come into any one of those particular, uh, I guess, participating manufacturers who then have to up channel through their support agreements. When anytime someone's going to OEM a product, there's usually a, a number of different agreements that go into that arrangement. One of those is the support and care plan. And so, you know, whenever you get a, a tier one tech support question, uh, you hopefully can answer that. But when it's a little bit higher, you're going to have to take that, uh, send in an RFI to the actual OEM and get them to fix it. Uh, and there's turnaround times, SLAs for that kind of stuff. But part of that is the security conversation. So anyone that's participating has to up-channel any type of security threat or notification up to the OEM partner so they can go ahead and formulate a, a resolution and then send it out to all impacted parties. All right, very good. Uh, next story here actually comes to us from uh, AV Technology and our good friend Marco Dewahi. Marco dives into using AI, artificial intelligence, in the classroom and on campus, including video analytics, uh, class capture, security, personalized learning, which was it's very interesting. We'll put a link on it on the on this show's page, uh, and accessibility. 
Um, Peter, I'm going to start with you on this. Where should we expect AI in, in the AV space? Uh, where should we expect kind of uh, the artificial intelligence? Margo makes a good, good point for, for classroom and, and, and higher edu- education technology. But there have also been rumblings of, you know, people using it for acoustic design and acoustic spaces uh, for other um, design systems and stuff like that. So where, where do we see AI uh, happening in, in the world of AV? Uh, yeah, that that article is fascinating. Um, I I think I think there's you know a number of opportunities. I think you know the education space seems pretty logical from a standpoint of you're you know largely dealing with probably that uh, especially from the the generation I guess of that are in school that are in education are probably very used to that engaging with that type of technology on a regular basis. Um, but you know in the AV space, uh, it's something that I feel like especially for uh, particularly in like audio, I think, you know, audio is by and large invisible and being able to kind of analyze stuff visually uh, from a standpoint of, you know, knowing where sound is going to be captured and where it's not going to be, for instance, um, in a conference space or in an education space, um, being able to kind of know how, you know, the physics involved of a given you know, is the room ambient? Is the room dead? Is the room, you know, going to give you certain types of reflections off of certain surfaces? Um, you know, all that could be baked into something that, you know, a tool that would, you know, allow you to, you know, design a room for, for a particular uh, purpose, probably a lot quicker than you can now without really, you know, maybe not even hearing it, um, you know, with, with, with AI. I think that's something that, um, it's something that, you know, has been talked about a lot within the walls of, uh, our organization and, you know, we're looking at uh, new ways every day to kind of, you know, make the integrator, make the um, deployment folks, uh, their jobs easier through um, employing such technology to, you know, to get installations done quicker. So it's, it's definitely in the, I think it's, you know, we're on the precipice of something that's pretty exciting. Uh, Chris, I've got a question. Where where do you see AI uh, in AV? Well, I, I thought of a number of different applications and it's still obviously emerging, but it, some of the things that we're starting to see are real-time language translations for video conferencing. Uh, and so um, that's a little bit you know, of an improvement compared to maybe just uh, regular straight language translation. It's more contextual. Um, and, and so it's going beyond just rote uh, word for word. Um, but also things I, I see on the, on the control side as we deploy rooms, um, more advanced user testing in terms of how many scenarios can we run against a room and, and possibly break it. Um, design verification, I think, could be interesting, um, especially with regulatory code compliance. Uh, I, I'm not sure where we're at from a BIMS perspective and from a CAD perspective, but just this idea that there's volumes of data of regulations that my design should comply with, um, I think it's quite interesting that we could potentially see some AI enhancements there as well. Don, um, AI is still kind of evolving, and it probably not to be silly, and this is not to, meant to be um, flip. It probably always will be, uh, because you know it's artificial intelligence, and we're evolving. And if it does its job, it will also evolve. But I, I would I would argue that we're kind of on the on the first steps of it, especially in the world of AV. So, what are some of the dangers, the pitfalls of jumping into a technology like AI too quickly? Oh, geez. Well, <laughs> I mean, you know, there, there's, of course, the obvious joke. Do you want Skynet? Because that's how you get Skynet or how, you know, I, I, I think the world of cinematic dystopia has given us plenty of examples of how AI can go horribly, horribly wrong. Um, 
I mean, realistically speaking, I think part of from the, both the integration front and the end user front, part of the risk of jumping into the technology too early, and it's true of AI as it is of any technology, is it's not quite ready for prime time, possibly, depending on the use case. And when that happens, and you invest heavily in a technology that isn't quite there yet, there's going to be some execs burned. There's going to be some money people burned. There's going to be some people saying, why did we waste all, where's the return on investment that we were promised? And we wasted all this money on this thing that doesn't work. And I can't tell you when I was an integrator, how often I would hear from someone, well, we tried that in the past and it doesn't work. And so why are we going to waste more money on it? Um, you know, technology has evolved a long time since whatever burned you back then. But once some folks get that in their head, they're not going to want to pursue it. So if you jump into this a little too soon, I could see some people getting getting burned, getting uh, cynical, not believing the hype, you know, and, and in a lot of cases, it is hype at the moment. Just as, you know, 4K now, 2019, we're seeing wide adoption of 4K. How long ago was it that Infocom was all about 4K and it's the next great thing and everybody needs to spend all their money on 4K TVs and all you could watch was that single Oz movie that they recorded in 4K? Yeah. <laughs> you you know, so... Now 4K is passe and 8K is the next thing. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's the thing. You know, everybody jumps on these bleeding edge bandwagons and don't get me wrong, I love hot new tech. It's, it's you know, uh, that's why I'm in this industry. I like to play with the new toys. But it's a case of, when you're looking at things from an enterprise perspective for corporations, for uh, even integrators, for that matter, staking your reputation on, I'm going to be a proponent of this new technology, you need to be aware that there are pitfalls by adopting too early, that you could go down with the ship. And so you, you want to be, I, I had a, a boss one time tell me, we want to be leading edge, but we don't want to be bleeding edge. Let somebody else take the risk of being the bleeding edge guy that could hemorrhage out. And, you know, you take the leading edge. Don't be the last guy adopting. Don't be so risk averse that you miss the boat entirely. But don't push the envelope so quickly. And I think with AI, if you get into it too quickly before there's a proven use case and a proven track record, at least in certain uses, you could run that risk. Now, personally, I think I think the idea, uh, what Chris and Peter said about using it for audio verification and for helping design, you know, speaking as someone fairly new as a designer professionally, I love that idea, especially for folks that happen to be, you know, big V, little A, AV professionals, you know, being able to just input all of those audio requirements and all of those standards and help, you know, there's always an element of art involved, but if I could get that Designed to the spec perfectly with the assistance of an AI and then go in there and sweeten it with the ear the way, you know, you're supposed to, that would save so much time and energy. So I, I see it as ultimately a good thing, but just, you know, too soon, sometimes too soon. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys, our last story here uh, comes to us from Globe E Newswire. Zoom, uh, which is the platform we are using uh, today, Zoom has been approved under the U.S. Federal Risk and Authorization Management Program, also known as FedRAMP, and that's what I'll use. The FedRAMP designation means government agencies can use Zoom for, bit, for government uh, meetings as well as make use of API integrations, meaning that, that Zoom, not this instance, but the Zoom for government, uh, can be used for, for secure uh, communications. 
Chris, I want to start with you on this. Uh, how important are government uh, designations and certifications like this uh, for companies? Well, I, I think they're highly important. And it's, it's a delicate balance as a manufacturer, the amount of time and effort that you put into achieving that certification versus the return on that investment you think you're going to get. Um, it's often a barrier to entry, which can be good if you're the first one across that hurdle. You know your competitors are probably trying, but they're not there yet. Um, or if I have a competitor that has crossed that hurdle and I'm no, not in the conversation because I don't have a specific certification uh, to reside on a government network, for instance, uh, I, I might be you know, precluded from that, that contract and be spec locked out. So it, it's pretty important as a manufacturer to, to be a part of that. Now, in this case, you, you said secured communications. Um, this is actually for unclassified communications. Uh, the very end of that, uh, they mentioned a, a DISA level five um, that they're working on, but even that is still the highest level of unclassified uh, communications. Uh, so that, that's where I got confused. I thought that the five was the was the classified one. Okay. No, if you look that up, um, six uh, starts to get into to that, but essentially five and below are all unclassified. Now that doesn't mean the connection isn't secure. I don't want to confuse those terms, but uh, it's not for classified um, communications, which is you know. But the vast majority of government communication isn't uh, secret, uh, you know, classified kind of information. So that's not a big deal. But interestingly, in that marketplace, they're the, currently the only UC platform that I saw that had achieved full approval. Um, Microsoft Office 365 was pending. They were still in the process, as well as Cisco uh, WebEx Teams was also in process, but they were not through the, uh, the entire certification process. Um, so it's interesting, but the devil's in the details as to what you actually achieved uh, in that. And, and that's why even as integrators or end customers, you know, we have to understand what, what those designations really mean because it's very easy to say, I have a certification to a community and marketplace that don't understand that world and just think, oh, then they're really, they're okay. And, and like one could assume here, that means people are having classified meetings over Zoom, which we know they're not. Um, so another instance there too is I, the, a point I want to bring up uh, about the importance of getting that achievement is um, a reduction in friction for someone to buy your service, right? And so typically with most government programs, I have a, a, if someone that has to meet a standard and I can buy them, uh, and if you're the only one that meets that standard, then you're the only one that I can technically buy. Um, but if you don't meet the standard, there may be a waiver or approval process. I have to do a lot of admin work. I have to do a lot of approval uh, waiver type things to where, you know, is it worth the fight or do I just buy Zoom? Uh, you, you know what I'm saying? As far as as a manufacturer, that's why it might be advantageous to have an early mover advantage and be the only one in a marketplace because if no one's qualified, then everyone has to get a waiver because they still need the service. But if there's one that's qualified, that's where a floodgate can open because now you're the only approved one. I all have to, we, we all have to have it, and it's a lot easier for me to buy you than it is to get a waiver for the competition that I might prefer. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, Peter, same kind of question. You know, how important are, they, are these or are, are any sort of, of government or, or federal certifications? Uh, definitely important. I mean, it's definitely something that we've, um, you know, as a manufacturer, we're continually making sure, I mean, I mean, it goes back with us in terms of history for, um, you know, for, for sure, just in terms of, you know, what it meant for our organization going back um, decades in terms of, you know, being, making products that were up to mill spec, you know, and not, and not breaking in the field for, you know, you know, for, you know, World War II or whatever else. I mean, that was some of the biggest booms of, uh, what we brought to the marketplace were because of that. And then we just stuck with it. And that's why a lot of our stuff is built the way it is. Um, but, you know, moving into today's, 
uh, today's timeline, and these these certifications are, are definitely, this was an interesting one because I feel like, you know, um, Zoom is pushing into a lot of, you know, different verticals and different, uh, in different segments. And uh, having having this will obviously turn some heads among, you know, competitors. And, and um, like Chris was saying, I mean, there are other ones that are waiting in the wings for that, you know, for such approval. Um, but it's definitely something that, you know, we're always taking a look at and monitoring and, and making sure that we're compliant with, you know, uh, you know, regulations that are, are necessary or, or certifications that we need to achieve. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something that we're taking a look at. Yeah. Don, a little bit of a different question here. Um, the government in general, and I'm going to say the government in general, the, the Department of Defense uh, is getting ready to, um, to approve and, and, and award um, a cloud-based uh, or, or a cloud contract. They're referring to it as Jedi, which I, I freaking love. Uh, but the, the two main um, uh, competitors for that is, is Amazon, AWS, which Aviation, that's what we use as S3, um, and Microsoft Azure, right? So I, it's taking a step back from just video, you know, soft, software-based video conferencing. The Department of Defense is going to the cloud, right? Something I never thought I would say. Something I, 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 I have had folks like my buddy Joel Bilheimer, uh, who, who works in, in, in that space. Uh, he and I have, have had discussions about that for, for years now. That's, they're, they're going to the cloud. They're, they're going to software-based codecs like this. Do moves like that by the government and government entities who have historically been incredibly security um, uh, and not, not risk, but, but their, their risk for security is, is, is a very, very high. And so they, they research these things and make sure that, that they know what they're getting into before they step in. Are moves like that by the government, um, is, it, is it a, uh, a, a mark of, of um, approval or you know, a, a stamp of, of, of approval on you know, that technology in general for other, other menu or other you know, organizations, companies, Fortune 500, to say, hey, you know what? The Department of Defense is going down that road, so, so it should be okay for us too. Well, I think it's kind of a step in the right direction. I wouldn't yeah. call it just a seal of approval. Um, you, know, you have companies like mine that work in that space but aren't the Department of Defense. No. And we see the Department of Defense making moves like that, you know, and, and it's kind of like, okay, we might consider this now, but we still would have our own vetting process. We would still would have our own concerns. Um, the whole idea of cloud anything in this entire vertical, you, like you said, it, it just seems completely against the grain. But it's, it's, it's a sign of, hey, it's 2019. This is where the world is going. You know, interestingly enough, back to the dumb terminals and your data is elsewhere, sort of where computing came from. Um, in a new fashion, though, and I think, I think it's it, it's a sign of things to come. I think that that your average Joe company, your you know, um, maybe not banks, but like your lawyer, your lawyers or your your uh, widget makers and and things like that, they would see the DoD approving something like that and say, yeah, okay, if it's good enough for them, it's good enough for us. Um, like I said, some in the in the vertical though are still even more risk averse and even more concerned. That said, I was super excited to see this story about Zoom because, and even though they're now at the highest level of non-classified, it's a step in the right direction. As I said, it, it's, it's proof that it is coming, that they will get there eventually, you know, and because uh, I don't see video conferencing going away. 
Um, I just read something in Install, Install Magazine. Uh, it's a sister publication in Europe for uh, SCN. Yep. They were talking about collaboration technology recently. And a couple of quotes stuck out to me, one of them being that what they're calling USB rooms, or what we used to call huddle spaces, rooms without a traditional codec, are far and away the fastest growing segment of that fast growing market. And I see it here in my own organization. For every one codec, hard codec we put in, you know, there's dozens of rooms where they just want like a web-based USB camera and use the internal chat feature of, you know, Skype for Business, uh, groups, you know, whatever, whatever soft codec is approved for use within your organization type thing. And when you get that so popular and with the cost prohibitiveness, if that's a word, of, of the traditional codec system, um, you know, it's really appealing that you can say, all right, for this entire site, we're going to put one codec in. They can handle the classified stuff or the important stuff, and everybody else is going to use this cloud-based. You get something like Zoom coming along and saying, hey, we're working on getting that certification. Suddenly, VTC rooms are much more affordable. Travel budgets go down considerably. Company can save thousands, if not millions of dollars. Uh, you know, when I started to work here at Redacted, I was blown away by how much money we spend flying executives from point to point to point to talk to other executives when a simple what we're doing here would work just fine in a lot of cases but because we have that re requirement that you need a hard codec and certain classified versions of hard codecs before they can use that sort of service and it's so cost prohibitive they don't have it at every site you're still standing in line at the TSA, you know? So um, the, the idea that Zoom has gotten this far and that the DOD is adopting these sorts of technologies thus far excites me immensely now working in this, in this vertical because it means that things are coming that will make life easier, that will make business more cost effective. And if they can prove and do it securely, going back to that other story, you know, getting rid of the vulnerabilities and keeping it as risk averse as possible, it's going to possibly radically change how we do business in, in, in certain verticals, this one included. So I was very excited by this story. Go Zoom. We don't use you at all right now. We don't use any soft codecs right now for any kind of external use. But, you know, keep going down this road and you're on the shopping list. All right. Very good. That'll be a, a good place to start. Thank you all so much. Uh, actually, we'll stick with Dawn. Dawn, how do people get a hold of you if they want to? Well, you obviously can't find me at work unless you know where I work and who I work for. But you can always find me online here at avnation.tv, um, the host of the AV Social Show. A new one just dropped today, I believe, for this yep. month. And um, you can find me occasionally popping up on this show. And you, of course, can find me on the Twitterverse and elsewhere as at avdawn. And unfortunately, you will not be able to find me at Infocom this year because uh -huh. my boss and my coworkers are going. I mean, I'm in charge of the whole kingdom while they're gone, but uh, I will not be in Orlando. So hit me up on the Twitterverse. I'll be FOMOing really badly. All right. Very good. Uh, Mr. Backus, thank you, sir. Uh, how do people get a hold of you or Harmon? Uh, you can find me uh, on LinkedIn and on Twitter at AV Control Guy. Hope to see you guys at Infocom. I'll be at the AV Nation tweet up. Uh, it's always a good event. If you've never been, highly, highly recommended. Uh, Don, we will absolutely miss you. I'm kind of crushed to learn that on this call that you're not going to be there. But uh, but we will we will have a great time. And so uh, that's how you can reach me. All right. Very good. Uh, and Mr. Peter Hur from Sure. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. 
Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm, uh, you can get me at, at PA Her on the Twitters, uh, LinkedIn, of course, as well, and then uh, sure.com, and I'll be at Infocom, and, and I'll see you at the, the tweet up. Yes, sir. Absolutely. Uh, for me, for Tim Albright, uh, don't follow me on the Twitters because at this point, I am absolutely shocked but giddy the fact that the Blues are still playing hockey. Uh, for anybody, game seven. Oh my gosh, I had about I had a heart attack. Uh, good, good friend of ours uh, works for Atlas IED. Uh, Michael Peebler is a huge Dallas Stars fan, uh, and I have to give incredible uh, respect and props to their goalie. Uh, uh, Bishop, who happens to be from St. Louis, but plays for the Stars. But yes, an incredible series. And now we have to face the Sharks. So, <laughs> um, yeah, and Metallica. We'll, we'll, and Metallica. Yes, and Metallica. <laughs> so we'll we'll have to see where where we go for the next week. So, uh, but uh, go by the website if you would please. An awful lot of people spend an awful lot of hard work on it. Uh, Avionation.tv. That's Avionation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others, uh, including. Resident Week and our Infocom 2019 coverage. While you're there, please check out our supporters section. These are the folks who uh, help us financially and, and help us bring you AV Week and Resident Week and all the others. And sure is one of those. And we thank them uh, for their support. Speaking of Infocom, uh, Chris already mentioned the tweet up. To check, uh, go by the website and register for that. Uh, it's sponsored by Starin and Infocom. It happens June 12th, which is the Wednesday from 4 to 6. Uh, find out the, the room number. I believe it's, it's, it's on the third floor of uh, the OC. Uh, but it's two to it's four to six. We call it a walkthrough party, uh, simply because we understand that there are hundreds of places you could be going to uh, the week of Infocom. We're just you know make us kind of your your first drink of the night on Wednesday. Uh, come by and trade uh, trade business cards with folks and see a bunch of folks in, in real life. Uh, our next webinar is May twenty second. Actually, kind of getting you ready for Infocom. Uh, we're going to be covering the specs and everything you need to know uh, for AV over IP. So all that and more at avnation.tv. AVNation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week.